when we got to pads and tampons, that's when we started thinking, oh, I wonder what people do every month when they can't afford period products. And I find it interesting that we that we landed on that question because of a different conversation. And I think that really speaks to the lack of conversation around periods and period poverty. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share honest and inspiring conversations so that you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebulagen. We need to talk about periods more. That's a message from Isabel Marshall, co-founder of social enterprise Taboo, which she started when she was just in high school with her best friend Eloise Hall. At Taboo, they sell organic cotton pads and tampons with 100% of net profits going towards fighting period poverty, an issue that affects menstruators worldwide. You might not think it, but period poverty is also an issue that hits close to home. A recent South Australian report revealed that one in four young people struggle to get period products. Reasons include the cost, feeling shame, and a lack of knowledge about what they need. In this episode, Isabel, who was named 2021's Young Australian of the Year and is also a medical student, chats to our managing editor, Alex Davies, from her apartment's balcony in Adelaide. So sorry about the birds you can hear in the background. They talk about the wide-ranging impact of period poverty and why it's important to shatter period stigma. And if you're curious about how Isabel started a social enterprise so young, she goes into that story too. When menstruation and periods aren't uh, properly supported through policy, infrastructure, uh, through leadership, through government, they can actually be quite a, a, a disadvantage for people who bleed. And that is particularly seen in, in groups that are under financial pressure. Um, and that's because periods are a, a process that you can't ignore. Um, when you're bleeding, you need to accommodate for that. Um, and the way that we accommodate for, for that through the use of period products um, is not always that cheap. And so people under financial pressure can um, can be at a huge disadvantage because of a lack of access uh, or affordability of these products. Yeah, because I was going to say a huge area of your advocacy is around what's described as period poverty. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think maybe wouldn't have occurred to so many people. But can you tell me, if for those who don't know, what period poverty actually is and how it can impact someone day to day? Absolutely. So in its most literal sense, period poverty is when uh, someone is unable to afford or access the products or services they need uh, to safely, hygienically um, manage their period with dignity as well. And that's an important um, aspect as well, uh, because there are plenty of alternatives that people use for to, to soak up the blood, such as socks, such as um, mattress ripping, such as pieces and old cloths. And this happens all over the world, uh, but they are not they are not materials that um, are a dignified way to manage your period. Uh, and that's a, that's a huge point that we drive home at Taboo as well. Uh, not only are they not dignified, they can also be unhygienic and unsafe and, and can cause complications such as infection. Uh, but a lot of period poverty is also about the lack of education around the menstrual cycle uh, and also the fact that we don't talk about 
it. Um, when when a topic isn't discussed, uh, people can't voice their concerns or the issues that they're facing. And so people who are in positions of power or decision makers aren't able to uh, factor those issues in uh, to their solution making and things like that. Um, so we need to start talking about them so that we can um, actually create sustainable and meaningful solutions. And you were obviously saying there about, you know, people using or having to use different materials and things other than pads and tampons or, you know, period underwear or whatever many of us may use. And it made me think I wrote a piece a while ago um, where I interviewed someone and they were saying that, you know, it can impact, this kind of thing can impact someone's schooling and their work. And, you know, teenage girls may not feel comfortable or like you say, you know, dignified or comfortable going to school if they haven't got the products they need. And then that has that knock-on effect on education, on work, on so many areas, right? Absolutely. And that's one of the motivating factors that that started the journey that Eloise and I took with Taboo. We discovered that 30% of girls in developing countries drop out of school as soon as they get their period. And that obviously has, has such a perpetuating effect on the poverty cycle and also gender inequality. So the fact that it it's so strongly affects schooling is a huge issue, but as you said, employment as well. If someone is, isn't financially independent, um, often the next security blanket is um, getting married very young and in a lot of cultures that, that translates to child brides, uh, child mothers, um, and again, that, that continuation of the poverty cycle and the disempowerment of women in, in general. But you see that in developed countries as well. And we have an amazing woman in South Australia, the Commissioner for Children and Young People, um, and she did a, an in-depth report about the state of uh, menstrual healthcare and well-being in South Australia. And she was really trying to understand if period poverty existed here in in an Australian state that is um, very financially supported um, and very secure and um, and stable. And she found that there were plenty of reports of uh, young women or young menstruators ex- uh, having to take days off of school, having to um, reduce their hours at work, um, having to disengage in social or community um, activities, which, as you said, has this huge cumulative effect and over time will affect someone's education, their their um employability and um access to like financial support and also um and also their general enjoyment and quality of life yeah that's the thing because I imagine if you're put in a position as well when you have a certain amount of money to spend on your rent and your food and hygiene products unfortunately you know period products and hygiene may come later down the line because you need to be mm. able to feed yourself or your families absolutely I think that's what's um that is commonly seen especially in households um, that are already under financial pressure um, and a, a lot of the time young, young children can they know what's going on and a lot of the time uh, when someone first gets their period in that sort of environment, they're unlikely to want to talk about it or expect or ask for those products because they also know that they're expensive. Um, and so there's a lot of, as you said before, hush-hush about it, and not only because of the stigma uh, but because of the the fact that there's um, that it, it introduces an extra financial pressure that sometimes families just can't afford. And then you mentioned your friend Eloise Hall as well, who's your co-founder with Taboo. 
And I'd love to know about what sparked that realization for you both that you wanted to do something about this issue. Was there a a moment or a a 2 a.m. conversation or, you know, how did this kind of really start? Because you were only 18 or so at the time. Is that right? The idea of taboo actually sparked um, from being introduced to this concept of a social enterprise, which is in its essence, a business that uh, exists for a social cause. Um, and some social enterprises um, reach their mission by dedicating a portion of their profits, for example, or else uh, offering their product or services um, to a group at risk to further their mission. Um, so we love this idea of a social enterprise and we started brainstorming um, walking along the beach um, different products or services that that we used um, as consumers every single day or every single week or month. And when we got to pads and tampons, that's when we started thinking, oh, I wonder what people do every month when they can't afford period products. And I find it interesting that we that we landed on that question because of a different conversation. And I think that really speaks to the lack of conversation around periods and period poverty. As two young girls, we'd been to an old girls' school. We had uh, many women around us who who menstruated, uh, but we had never asked that question or never, uh, I guess, approached or considered what people do when they can't afford period products, um, despite the fact that we'd been bleeding ourselves for probably four years at that point. So then when we started researching into the realities of period poverty and the complexities of the issue, uh, that's when we decided, okay, we really need to actually do something about this because it's so not fair that this important and quite beautiful bodily function is holding uh, people, a whole population of people back. Can you tell me a bit about Taboo and how it works then, you know, with people buying products from you guys or whatever, you know, what's the kind of process, what's happening there? So we uh, sell our own line of organic cotton period products to Australian customers. Uh, we sell online, but also through retailers. Um, and our our promise is that 100% of our net profits are dedicated to eradicating period poverty around the world. So we have a charity partner called One Girl, and they work in Sierra Leone and Uganda to make sure that girls stay in school and to make sure that women find and keep employment. Uh, so they've they've recognised the main barriers that um, that that keep girls away from school and women from employment, and one of those barriers is their period. So that's the particular arm of that charity that we're particularly interested in but they they are very holistic in their approach uh, to gender equality and the poverty cycle that's where our profits go uh, but we also have a pay it forward model um, so we offer our customers the option to subscribe to our product on behalf of someone in Australia who needs it so that's um, done through our partnerships with uh, multiple organizations around the country um, and our customers will subscribe to our product and, on a monthly basis and then we gather all of those subscriptions, donations, and then we distribute them to the organisations uh, that, that need it at the time. I wondered if you'd ever had a, I imagine there may be many, but a piece of feedback or an encounter with someone maybe that made you really kind of think, you and Eloise think, this is why we're doing this, something that really resonated with you perhaps. 
Mm. So in 2018, Eloise and I went to Kenya and India um, and we shadowed a few organisations that do work in this area. And we went to one particular school in rural Kenya in Masai Mara land and it was a very, very um, isolated school. It was a shed and we went to this school and the students had been waiting pretty much all day to invite us into their school and that was because we also came with uh, lots of pads to hand out to the students. And when we, when we handed those pads out, it was quite incredible to see the response. Most of the students had never used pads, so we had to go through the process of ex- explaining in detail how to use a pad, how to unwrap it, where to put it on your undies. We were also handing out undies. And the, then we had the, these incredible opportunities to speak to the students um, and, and talk to them through a translator. And we did the usual spiel, what a period is, um, why they should be um, proud of it and not ashamed of what their body does. Then we had question time um, and one young girl put her hand up and said that she walks to and from school for three hours every day and that when she's got her period, she has such extreme cramps that she has to sit by the side of the road um, and given the length of time it takes to get home, sometimes it, it gets dark during that time and she's sitting by the side of the road unable to do anything. And she said, what What do I do? And at that point, Eloise and I just looked at each other, absolutely um, lost for words because there's no way that, that we could have suggested she just pop some painkillers or use a heat pack and of course she was at extreme risk sitting by herself um, on the side of a rural Kenyan road it's, it's an extremely dangerous situation for her to be in and that's when we really discovered how complex this issue is it's not just about access to product um, it's about those more peripheral risks that um, are associated with with the menstrual cycle and someone experiencing their period in perhaps an unsafe environment or um, or or just not having the financial um, or structural support around around their period. Yeah, it really brings home the nuances of the issue and that complexity, like you say. Yeah, and then um, you wrote a recent piece for our website at Women's Health, and I hate to I don't know if you're so embarrassed you'd like to quote your quote your writing back to you, but um, you wrote a really powerful line which I really loved, and um, you said we strive. We strive to shift the tone from one that is shameful and negative to one that is celebratory and guided by respect. We demand that employers, leaders, governments and caregivers understand and facilitate the role of periods in the lives of those they serve. And I just, you know, we spoke there just about the complexity of this issue, but I wondered what you would, in light of that, what you would like to see happen and change you know what should we be working towards both globally but and as a society as well it's an interesting point because it really talks to um the responsibility we have as individuals on this topic uh, but also um the structures that exist to look after us um as citizens of a community on a personal level it's really important that we change the tone in which we speak about periods it's a very simple sounding idea but it makes a huge difference especially when you are talking to young people uh, people who are just getting their period for the first time it it makes a huge difference when we shift the tone from negative to positive because it, it changes the way we view ourselves and whether um whether we think what our body is doing is right or wrong. But it also uh, it, it also makes people feel proud of the strength 
of their body. And that's what periods are. They're your body saying you are strong enough to carry a child, which is is an incredible feat and that's something we need to celebrate. And it tells us a lot about the health of our bodies, where where we're at, um, what's going on inside, um, and we need to kind of cherish that that external message that our body is giving us. Um, and so that comes to teachers, you know, instead of the first thing you t- teach students being how to hide your period or how to to, ha- to deal with it in a discreet way, it should be, you know, what, what's it telling you? What, what actually is going on in your body? Why is it happening? How can you harness the different hormones that are, um, that are fluctuating throughout the menstrual cycle uh, so that you can uh, reach your greatest potential throughout the month? Things like that. Um, so that's a very simple shift in, in conversation and tone. Uh, but then there's also a lot of conversation to be had about um, who's responsible for the provision of, of period products. We often use this example because uh, it's it's everyone can relate to it, um, but we don't ask our students or our employers to bring their own toilet paper um, to their workplace or school. And so, so why do we ask people to bring pads or tampons? And a lot of the time, no one really thinks about that or or in that or think about it in that way. But when we, yeah, when we kind of question the, the what's been normal in this space. Um, Sometimes a bit of hypocrisy comes to the surface and we wonder why periods have been treated in a different way than other bodily functions. Do you have like, I know this may be a strange question, but how you imagine a woman or, you know, anyone with a period and many menstruators would experience their period? You know, is there a, a dream way in a way that you imagine someone would have that experience, that health experience? Firstly, I think it's something we should feel proud of, but that doesn't discount the fact that for some people periods are a really challenging thing to have to experience every month. We've just discovered in Australia that one in nine menstruators have what's called endometriosis, which is when the uh, tissue that's similar to the lining of your womb uh, grows outside of the uterus or the womb um, and then that tissue actually responds to the hormonal fluctuations that the inside of your uterus in a similar way to the um, inside of your uterus. So when that tissue tries to shed and it has nowhere to go, it creates this um, inflammation process um, and extreme pain. We're only just realising the reality of endometriosis, which manifests with painful periods and, and which has been ignored for many years now because people's level of pain has been so sub- subjective um, and in the past a lot of women haven't been taken seriously in in their, at their GP practices and things like that. So a lot, of, a lot more awareness has built up recently, which has been really really exciting sorry i'm going on a bit of a tangent no, <laughs> i think no, the, it's so the 4 p.m slump just hit <laughs> no it's so true because i think that play that really ties into what you were saying about opening up this conversation and reducing the stigma because with that comes mm. the understanding and i think a lot of people who you know from what i understand speaking to people who struggle with endometriosis a lot of people maybe don't even necessarily realize that really severe period pain, you don't have to put up with it. People just think it's part of the experience and they have to get on with it. And actually that's not always the case. And it's always worth 
seeing your GP and trying to pursue and find mm. out what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And even even as a young person, I remember in school, a lot of my friends would say, before we got, before a lot of us got our periods, a lot of my friends would say, oh, I bet I'm going to have painful periods because my mum had painful periods and my auntie has painful periods. Um, and then more often than not, they, they experienced their periods for the first time and it was painful. And then every month they were um, anticipating these painful periods. Um, and that was kind of just passed off as, or it's just part of my genes. But endometriosis, it certainly has hereditary factors. Um, And so for generations, a family line may have been experiencing endometriosis, but it's not until now that we can label that as as something that needs to be like medically addressed uh, and something that... um, yeah shouldn't shouldn't just be ignored and can be can be managed I was going to ask thinking about the future you know what would you what's next for taboo and for you you know what do you want to do with the company next or with your work next and where do you see what's your kind of dream Mm. for the future I guess well it's interesting because our mission of eradicating period poverty uh, leaves us in a funny position where we're not really needed anymore, which is exactly the point. I guess we're kind of working ourselves out of a job at the moment, um, which is exactly where we want to be. Um, in terms of, uh, before we get to that point, um, our dream is to grow uh, Taboo um, so that we can sell as much product as possible um, and in turn um, raise as much net profits as possible to donate to our charity partner. Um, so we, we need to grow our company and, and we need to grow our product range um, and our customer base as well. Uh, and we also really want to expand that range of educational resources um, so that people um, are empowered through the knowledge of their menstrual cycle um, and feel um, excited to share and learn from other people's experiences too. Personally, as I said before, I'm a medical student um, and I don't know where that will go. I'm pretty open to anything at the moment, but I I can see myself going into women's health and obstetrics and gynecology or something along those lines. I have a real passion that the incredible things that the female anatomy and biology can do shouldn't be a disadvantage or a risk to anyone um, and that that's not only involves periods as an issue but also reproductive complications pregnancy complications and so there's lots of issues to solve and I don't think they're going to be solved in my lifetime at least <laughs> and lastly just thinking for anyone listening to this what would you what last piece of advice would you want to leave people with I guess both when it comes to how we view and approach our periods you know maybe touching on the conversation we had before about endometriosis and also how we can all do our part to move this conversation mm. forward I think our journey with taboo has really proven to us the power of conversation um, and I've said it a few times before but sparking conversation is a really effective way to address the stigma around periods really directly uh, and that and if, if, if anyone is nervous about starting that conversation, um, there are ways to organically do it. You could use us as an excuse um, and talk about social enterprises and bring taboo into it and then talk about um, the role that, that periods play in the poverty cycle but also gender inequality. And, but just opening up those conversations can lead 
two really interesting discussions and also um, a, a more normalised sense around these issues and periods in general. Other than that, buying our product, I'm going to do a, um, a shameless plug uh, because the only way that we can actually reach our mission is to um, harness the vehicle that we have chosen, which is the social enterprise model, which relies solely on actually selling a product. So um, if anyone out there needs pads or tampons for themselves um, and and you need them the products anyway, but you also want to um, help us eradicate period poverty um, while you're making those consumer decisions, then please head to our website. But if you don't need them for yourself, you can also buy them on behalf of someone in Australia who needs it. Yeah, so I think sparking those conversations, making conscious consumer decisions about the products you're using and how they affect um people around the world yeah and also keeping a global perspective we fell in love with this mission because we discovered that 30 percent of girls drop out of school as soon as they get their period in developing countries um, and certainly there are there's a long way to go in Australia but reminding ourselves of the realities around the world also really energizes us to keep doing what we're doing because it's just absurd that people aren't getting educated because of their period. And so when you can develop some fire around that, it's, I guess it's easier to start those conversations. That's a really powerful, thought-provoking note to end on. Isabel, thank you so, so much for joining us and sharing all your insights and the work you're doing. And yeah, we'll share all kind of links to Taboo and different projects and things in the show notes. But yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Isabel and Alex. If you'd like to support Taboo, head to tabooau.co to find stockists or to purchase some products online. This episode was hosted by Alex Davies and produced by me, Lisa Gebelagen. Hey, did you know that you can access issues of Women's Health Australia on Apple News Plus and Zinio? There you'll find our current issue with Tiffany Hall on the cover, plus all of our issues since the start of the year. For more from us, head to womenshealth.com.au or find us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. Thank you and see you next time.